Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Welcome to Unscrewed, the show that knows that real liberation includes sexual liberation. I am your host, Jacqueline Friedman. We talked a lot recently on different shows about porn from this bird's eye view. We talked about mainstream media exploitation of porn workers in the Hot Girls Exploited episode with Susie Q. And we talked with Toby Hillmeyer on the Nerve Endings show about the political power of porn and erotica and representation in it. And so I thought, like, maybe it's time to, like, have more of a nitty gritty conversation about porn from someone who really thinks about and cares about the production of porn. And so I knew the exact right person to invite on the show, Shine Louise Houston, who is a filmmaker and the founding director and producer of Pink and White Productions, which is an independent production company creating queer pornography in San Francisco. And they're also have a distribution network, which we'll also talk about. Shine, thank you so much for coming on the show. Well, thank you for having me. This is awesome. Yeah, I'm so psyched to have you here. You also, I should say, have a film coming out soon called Snapshot, a feature-length film, uh, which we're also going to talk all about. But as you know, we can't get into that until we do the lightning round first. Are you ready? Uh, Yes. Okay. (laughs) What has been making you the happiest this week? Uh, I think it's I re-cemented the bricks in my backyard patio. That sounds really satisfying. (laughs) Did you rip, do you have to rip them up? I don't know anything about this. No, you just no, put extra I, cement around them? No, I, I had to dig out all the dirt, old concrete, and some of the grass that has been growing in between them. And I did a cheaty dry method. So I took my quick concrete and just dusted it into the cracks and then wet it down with water. And then you just wait overnight and it looks like you have like perfect grout oh. in your bricks. Yeah. That's yeah. like... 100 yeah. percent handier than i ever will be um right. i'm very it's, impressed <laughs> thanks it's a little bit messy it doesn't look as like you know the, your bricks are really dusty for a while so it doesn't look super professional at first but you know but then it rains but then it rains and it's all good <laughs> what's the best sex advice you ever received that i ever received uh it's the process not the destination <laughs> amen who told you that? Do you remember? I don't remember. It was, it was some somewhere probably in my training as a CESA at uh, Good Vibes. Oh, right on. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. What's been making you maddest or saddest lately when it comes to news or events around um, sex and sexuality? Mr. Trump is Ugh. just like, I can't, I can't handle the ineptitude. It's just, it's absolutely ridiculous. I don't know. There's so many things to get up in arms about. 
the stabbing in Portland and all that kind of good stuff. Like there's a lot of things that are just like on my mind, you know, to, to the point of where I'm like, I'm never using mass transit or going anywhere where there's like lots of people at one time. Which is terrible, you know I mean? which is like, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Aww. What is the biggest sex myth that you once believed but don't believe anymore? I guess it's kind of like a two-part kind of answer. I think because of movies and stuff, you always assume that people come at the same time, you know? Mm-hmm. Especially with, like, penis-vagina sex. You, I don't know. I think there's this fantasy that everybody comes at the same time. And then I think the other myth is, is that only the other person gets to touch you. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. there's no... it's bad or wrong or it's insulting to the other person if you touch yourself while you're having partnered sex yeah while yeah you're yeah exactly like that you're doing their job for them or something weird. Right, yeah right, right. yeah that's fantastic i think that's a, that one doesn't get talked about a lot i, I obviously asked that question to a lot of people i don't know if that one has come up before and also like sex toys and stuff people get so right. fucking threatened right, right. yeah and lastly, who's one of the bravest people that you can think of who's working to unscrew the sexual culture in some way? I mean, there's two people. There's Pandora Blake, who's been standing up to a lot of the essentially censorship policies in the UK. Oh, yeah. You know, so you can't show certain things and spanking is one of them. And so her whole thing is like she has a spanking website. So she's been very vocal about opposing these new measures. Also, there was Zara Stardust, who's in Australia. And, you know, it's still, I believe, it's it's illegal to produce in Australia. There's a, it's, it's, it's way harder to produce porn in Australia than it is here in the United States. And she's a performer, and uh, she actually ran for a political office. <laughs> so wow. and made herself very, very visible. You know what I mean? And yeah. I think that it's good, like, especially as a performer, to make yourself like that visible on the public stage. And not just the public stage, but the political stage. That's very brave. So, yeah. yeah. Amazing. I will have to check her out. I haven't heard of her. All right. You survived the lightning round. You did very well. Thanks. Um, <laughs> so I think that where I want to start just for folks who are less familiar with your work is maybe to talk a little bit about Pink and White and why you founded it and what y'all are up to in a general sense. Mm-hmm. What's your deal as a as a filmmaker <laughs> and a pornographer? Uh, what's my deal? What's your deal, um, Shine? <laughs> I'll try to condense the, the story. So um, I had been working at Good Vibes for a number of years. And I was always getting the same question about like, you know, especially about lesbian porn. It's just like, you know, what straight guys would be like, what can I watch that's not going to piss off my girlfriend? Queer folks would come in and be like, "Ah, I want to see something that looks more like the people that I hang out with. And there's really not much. uh, There weren't many titles that I could recommend. And plus, I was kind of having a, oh, my God, I'm 30 and and still doing retail kind Mm -hmm. of moment. Mm -hmm. And so I uh, quit my job and started to make films. And, you know, I already had a film degree. And I figured I've got like five and a half years of market research through Good Vibes. Um, you can kind of see like where there was a hole in the market. And so I was like, well, I guess I'm going to fill that hole. Boom, boom. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> uh, that actually seems yeah. pretty brave to like quit your job and become an independent media producer of any kind. Yeah, it was a little nutty. I think it was just I, I had a lot of luck and a lot of hubris. 
I think you need both. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Yeah. Can I ask where you got your like first stake? Did you have savings or like make, how did you manage that leap? I cashed out my 401k. Oh my God. From Good Vibes. Um, and so that money kind of helped me make the first, not necessarily pilot, but uh, basically like a, like a real, like a test, like a test shoot. And then I wound up getting funding through uh, Blowfish for the first film that we did, actually for the first three films that we did. And then after that, we started the, the website and then it just kind of went from there. And here we are <laughs> doing our own stuff. So yeah, so we produce our own work. We just crowdfunded one of our, our most latest feature. Everything else is kind of like self-funded, like the small projects. But in 2010, I went to the Berlin Porn Film Festival for the first time and like my mind was like completely blown because there were a lot of people there who had the same thoughts as I did about porn and filmmaking. Just, you know, bringing a lot of craft and creativity to pornography, uh, kind of expanding what the possibilities of pornography is, you know, and questioning what is pornography and like, you know, what is arousing and how do you represent sexuality you know, in film. But I also realized, like, a lot of these people aren't necessarily going to make money Hmm. off of their work. It's not the type of work that, say, like, ABN or hot movies would necessarily take. And also, they're they're shorts, usually, you know, five minutes, sometimes less than five minutes. The formats are all over the place. But, you know, the work is, you know, incredible. So I started thinking, like, there needs to be a distribution channel for all this awesome stuff that I see at uh, film festivals that you know these people are just making it because they love it, not necessarily because they're going to make a ton of money. And that's where the idea for Pink Label started. And so we do have a lot of folks that we met through the Berlin Porn Film Festival on Pink Label. Um, and we try to work directly with artists, you know, so they're not taking a cut of a cut of a cut. Right. So they're getting the most profit as possible. It's really like a way to support emerging artists and like people who are doing kind of like, you know, like cutting edge work. And also just, yeah, just, you know, people that we think are doing really important work for, for the industry. What makes work important for you? Things that are important, like, you know, is it flipping any type of narrative? It's, is, is it representing a sexuality or body type that's not seen predominantly in the mainstream or is like objectified in ways like are you re- representing that sexuality in a new way is it sometimes it's just like wow that was maybe you know sexually it's not uh, innovative that way but uh, the filmmaking was stellar you know what i mean mm-hmm. and so like that that gives merit to the work so it it really depends like you know i could try to look at everything give an opinion about it and whether or not we should take it and I also consider it's like well would somebody like hot movies or ABN like take this stuff too sometimes if it feels like too mainstream like this is something that you would see on Pornhub I'm like maybe you know they might have a better fit there they might have a better audience there so got it I'm really interested in the question of porn as an art form or a media form that we could engage with the way we engage with all other art and media forms Mm -hmm. and obviously that's where you are and I'm sure you got there before I did but um (laughs) (laughs) but I I wonder 
have you just always felt that way about it? Like when you were in film school, were you thinking about making porn films or? I wasn't thinking about porn when I was in college. The college that I went to was very um, pointed in the direction of like abstract expressionism, deconstruction. So I was doing a lot of installation work, installation with film film as like a real-time experience Mm -hmm. not as an archive so I was doing work like that but also in the back of my mind I was like kind of like a a closet narrative filmmaker (laughs) (laughs) I didn't feel I didn't feel comfortable to come out and say like I just want to make a story with a beginning and a middle and an end which is really what I really like because that was like Uh, too square at your film school yeah Yeah. it was way square it was really not very avant-garde but, you know, I actually then slipped off to uh, City College for a while and got practical information on screenplay writing and um, production management and stuff like that. So I took a couple of years at City College, not to graduate or anything like that, just purely because I was like, I just want this information because mm-hmm. this is not the information that I got at art school. But something that I harp on is like pornography is just film. It's just film, you know, and film is illusion it's actions that are completely taken out of context it's you know you you piece these pieces of film together to make a narrative that may or may not have actually happened in real life do you know what I mean and you know I I feel like I it's humorous but it's also I feel like okay this is successful and the fact that people always say like oh your stuff is so authentic and it's so real but if they knew a, a lot of times when I when I'm editing a sex scene I'm editing to a particular formula, sometimes things temporarily, something that happened 20 minutes here, I actually stuck in at the five minute mark over here. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, of course. You know, I'm constructing a narrative for the sex. And like, quite honestly, the narrative of the sex scene follows the exact same narrative arc as any type of story with build up, crescendo, and, you know, kind of a tapering off. Sometimes there's a double peak, but for the most part, it's a formula and it's a system. And it's cut to a system that people know and recognize because you see it every day when you're watching television, when you're watching commercials. Um, And I think that's also what people respond to. You know, and when we shoot, we use proper, you know, well, sometimes it's hard when people are moving, but we try to use proper grammar. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So you've got, you know, a single shot, over the shoulder shot, two shot. Something happens, you see the the reaction to to the action. Yada, 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 yada. So we really try to keep our grammar clean. And when you have good grammar, people, you know, fall into that suspension of disbelief. And they're like, oh, my God, it was so real. And I'm like, no, it wasn't. It was film. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I feel like in some ways, Snapshot is a little bit about that. The thing that I found really interesting about Snapshot is like, it's about a photographer, right, who also is a voyeur sexually. But there are also other layers and people who are watching and she's watching other people watching. And and it really heightens the sense, for me it did, like heightened the sense of thinking about you as a director, about the camera mm-hmm. that we're all watching through. Right. right, was, right. It, <laughs> was it meant as a commentary on sort of that process that you just described and sort of the artifice of like where you focus your lens? So I'm going to give you a, a short story yeah i love stories this experience basically informs pretty much everything that i create (laughs) 
I went to uh, Lusty Lady. Do you know the Lusty Lady? Yeah, but for folks who don't. Well, it was a peep show. So really old school, like you put your quarters in, screen pops up and you see into this room with all these girls dancing, naked ladies. I believe it was the first time that I'd ever gone to the Lusty Lady. So my friend is like, here, I'm going to go in this booth. You take that booth. I'm like, okay. You know, I got my quarters and stuff and I'm really trying not to touch anything, <laughs> you know, sure. like not touching the seat, <laughs> not touching the walls. Yeah. So I take my little quarters and I slip them in the thought and, <laughs> and there goes the, the door. And, you know, there's these like girls dancing and stuff. And, you know, the first thing I do is like, I ask her, let me see your shoes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so, uh, so she's got her, her foot up on the little ledge there and dancing so I can see her shoes. But then I happened to kind of look just past her. And little did I know the back of the room is mirrored. And I caught myself in the mirror and I saw a look on my face that I'd never seen before. And it was just this weird bouncing back and forth of just like, I'm watching myself watch her, watch her shoes, watch me. And, you know, it was just like, it was like this really weird feedback of like watching her, but then watching myself watch her. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It blew my mind for a second. And, you know, ever since then, a lot of uh, the installation work that I did after that was also about looking and not looking and peeking. Mm. I created a box full of muslin. It was created by muslin, so it was almost like a tent, a three-sided tent. And there were holes that you could peek into, and there was also a light behind me, so you could also see my shadow moving. And there was also a camera on the inside that was pointing out through one of the holes and that was attached to a monitor. So when you were sitting in the audience, you could see yourself watching or looking through the peak holes. Oh. And so you could see me and you couldn't see me. And then there was peeking involved and there was like getting caught by the camera while you were peeking. So it's like that kind of stuff. Well, that's yeah, that's a, sort of almost exactly what this film is doing. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it comes up over and over and over again. It comes up in the crash pad, you know, because there's hidden cameras. Right. And then you see me watching them. And so the watching of the watching of the watching is like tends to be a theme. But there's definitely in this film some malevolent watching as well. Yes. <laughs> I don't want to give too much away, but the, not all of the watching is just curious. Yeah, 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 yeah. True that. Does that suggest some ambivalence on your part about sort of the role of the watcher? No, no. That's purely like a Hitchcock MacGuffin. Got it. Okay. MacGuffin. <laughs> You know, I needed something to hang other things on. And so, you know, I chose the murder mystery um, also because the references, you know, blow up. So there you go. Oh, man, I can't talk film nerd with you. Sorry. <laughs> no, it's OK. I just feel inadequate. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready get 30, ready get 20, 20, 20, ready get 20, 20, ready get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. 
Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. So, but that, that's one of the things I was wondering about. I mean, it's, it's obvious from all of your work, obviously, and, and even just from talking to you, like you care very much about what you're doing as art, possibly more than as commerce, or at least as much as commerce, right? Obviously, you're a businesswoman, and I'm hoping we'll talk a little bit about the right. business end, too. But I mean, really, like, our cash cow is the website. I make these other projects because I really want to. And generally, they're suge- they're successful, like, financially as well. Snapshot one movie of the year at the Toronto International Porn Film Festival. Amazing. Mazel tov. It, it's good because, like, it keeps us, we're doing something new and fresh, and people it keeps our name out there. Like these projects don't necessarily make as much money as say like the website, which is once again, just like purely sex. But for me, it keeps my soul alive <laughs> and it keeps me motivated to do projects like this. And also I do like little other shorts. I just shot another little short right now. And hopefully maybe next year I'll be able to shoot another half hour piece. So the commerce supports the art habit and the art sort of advertises for the commerce. Yes. In that kind of a loop. But I'm wondering, I'm just wondering if it's frustrating for you working in a field that gets more than most art slash commerce endeavors, like gets really flattened. Like if people, most people hear you're, you know, you make porn, they think this Mm -hmm. very specific thing. Yeah. And that there, it's much harder to get people to engage with the work on the level that you're making it. Or at least it's not normalized in the culture, right? Like my friends and I, I feel like we should, but we don't typically go, oh, I saw this great porn film the other day. You should really right. see it, right? <laughs> like the way that we might about some other film. Um, yeah, or yeah. I really like this film, but I also had a critique of it. Like the, like the, the depth of yep. engagement, right? I wonder like what your experience as an artist, really, as a creative person working in this very strange corner of film in terms of the way that the culture (laughs) interacts with it. Like, is that frustrating? I guess that's my question. Yeah, yeah. it has its frustrating moments, but also has like very satisfying moments. You know, sometimes the frustrating thing is if you're talking to someone like, you know, I was talking to somebody at a party and I was like, yeah, I make films partly. She was a documentary filmmaker. And I was like, yeah, no, I make films. I primarily work at adult. And you could just see her face fall. You know, like, oh, I'm not really talking to a real filmmaker. I'm like, well, that's just what people think. Or like, you know, I had movers um, when we were moving our studio once. And, you know, he was like, oh, is this a porn studio? And I was like, yeah. And he was like, oh, so you guys probably just like slap a couple of lights up and like, let's go. And I was like, no, we have keynotes. He was like, you know what keynotes are? I'm like, yeah, dude, I've been to film school. What's a keynote? A keynote is a a fluorescent light. It's the brand of a type of fluorescent light. Got it. But at the same time, it's, I think, the only industry where I could be an independent filmmaker and have the, the size of the company that I do and be successful and be independent. I don't think I could make this type of financial success happen 
just through narrative film, even if it was kind of slightly racy. <laughs> right. <laughs> because there are, there's a lot of slightly racy out there, and there's a lot of competition and a lot of boys club, and you're competing with. It's just it's just different. In a weird sort of way, there's so much more space in the adult industry for filmmakers. Because there's stigma, so there's fewer people like up in your business about it? Possibly. I just feel like there's been a lot more opportunity to be my own boss. Hmm. A lot more opportunity to kind of make my own decisions and make my own mistakes and find new territory. You know, it's really, really, really crowded in Hollywood. (laughs) And in a lot of ways in this kind of like niche that I found myself in, there's still a lot of space. You know, there's a global movement. There are a lot of us out there who share a lot of the same ideas that I do about film and sex on the big screen and what it means and how it can be empowering and all that kind of good stuff. And also just from, you know, when I I used to be a painting major and then I turned to film major, but in some way, like all of the um, themes that I worked with always had to do with sexuality which I kind of didn't realize until like a few years into making porn. I realized like I really like making stories about sex. I really like the narratives that I find in sex, like not just somebody comes over and goes over here and talks to somebody, then they have sex. No, I mean like the narrative of like when people are actually having sex, how people negotiate, like we're going to do this, we're not going to do this. And then there's... Something interesting that happens in the inter- interaction between people while they're having sex, and that fascinates me. I know in your Crashpad series, you basically leave people to do what they want. Right. In your more narrative scripted stuff like Snapshot, how do you think about the sex and how much of that, those interactions that we see are sort of left up to the performers and how much of that is sort of like, I need you to hit these beats? No, it's basically the same thing. I get people to the situation, but then once once the sex is happening, it's pretty much the same. I mean, we had slightly more limitations with the cameras that we were using for Snapshot, so people couldn't move around as much as, say, like with Crashpad, because we're way more mobile um, with the cameras that we use for Crashpad. When we do Crashpad, I use really light tripods, and you can, like, whip them around. And I use my old lenses, my 16 lenses, so they're tiny. They're old Bolex lenses. You know, it's just it was just different. But the basic principle of directing the sex is the same, which is pretty much you go, we follow, I'll clean it up in the edit. Nice. I bet that makes a lot of performers want to work with you. Yeah. Sometimes it's definitely like, yeah, I would love to do that. And for some people, especially if they've been working professionally for a while, it's a little unnerving because they're used to, they're like, I don't know, well, what do you want? Um, I'm like, do whatever. And sometimes that can be a little bit unnerving for people. It depends on where their habits of mind are at. Yes. Got it. I was also wondering about the casting. I mean, the, the cast is obviously really multiracial. And I'm wondering if you cast colorblind for this film or if you cast somewhat sort of color intentional like yeah, color intentional <laughs> yeah it's color intentional what do you think about when you're thinking about casting and obviously there's also a woman who uses a wheelchair and like it's obviously very intentionally diverse but are you thinking more than just like let's make this as diverse as possible with lyric she was just the best hannah she was a sassy she was fantastic yes yeah she was great <laughs> 
she was great. And I was like, you're a Hannah. We were looking for like a lot of brown people just because in my mind, you know, like these are amalgamations of people that I've known. So that was important for me. So it's part of making a world that looks like a world you know. Yeah. And then, of course, I thought it was hilarious to make, you know, like the bad guy, the white cis guy. Well, obviously, <laughs> yes. That one I got. <laughs> Sorry, white cis guys. I, I don't mean to, like, bag on you. It's just an iconic image. Dude, you know what? The white cis guys who get sensitive about that, like, can go to their own fucking work about it. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> That's how I feel about that. Like, the white cis guys who've actually done their work understand that we're not literally talking about them. Right, right. If they take it personally, then they probably should. That's my general yeah. feeling. <laughs> I also was wondering, there are some scenes where you show sexual negotiation, which I thought was really great and refreshing. Yeah. And then there are some scenes where clearly there has been sexual negotiation, but it doesn't right. get shown at all. And I was wondering right. if you like made intentional decisions about what parts to show or I'm, I'm trying to be vague because I don't want to give too much of the action away. But it kind of just depends on how they ran through the scene, whether or not their dynamic on camera was like, we're going to talk about this or not. I think more negotiation happens with one particular character. I tend to leave in all the mechanics of a scene. You said you crowdfunded this. Is that right? Yeah. Is that, was that the first time you've done that? Or how does that? Yeah, that was the first time we ever did crowdfunding. I think it was pretty successful. We made the film. Previously, the majority of uh, crowdfunding sites would totally shut down anything that seemed like porn or were overtly sexual. Oh. So, you know, Kickstarter, don't try it. But Indiegogo, obviously something had shifted there because suddenly there were a lot of like just very obviously sexually explicit projects were suddenly there. We're like, hey, can we do this? Let's do this. So we tried it out. It was a really steep learning curve. The next time we do it, I think we'll be even more successful just because we know what we're getting into now. But I think it was a really good tool for us. That's great. I mean, I, I wonder also, I mean, you and I have talked about this separately for other reasons about like, I don't know, just the cost of the idea, the sort of cultural idea that porn should be free and how that, <laughs> right? Like, this, yeah, I, you yeah, know, that, yeah. that mind geek has basically created. Yeah. And, and how that affects your ability to, like, run a business. I know you said, like, it's actually better than doing indie film that's not porn. But yeah. it still seems like it seems like a tough industry to be in because there's so much stigma, because there are so mm -hmm. few banking services mm -hmm. who will service you. Mm -hmm. And also because, like... So many people are just trained to expect to not have to pay for porn. Yeah, but also we're super niche. Do you know what I mean? I know like a lot of people like when, like first thing they do when they think about porn is they go like think about Pornhub and what's on Pornhub. But um, there's a lot of people where, you know, they can't find everything. They don't find what they're really looking for. I feel like we have a really particular fan base, a very like niche fan base. We also have very loyal fans. If I see something on X Hamster, we usually send it to them. If you see it on Pornhub and you know, I send them a DC DMCA, they're generally okay with taking stuff down pretty quickly. The type of work we do attracts a particular market, which isn't necessarily the market of Pornhub. Although, of course, we have been invited <laughs> to put our stuff on there. Wait, how does that invitation sound? <laughs> um, I'll just say it doesn't sound incredibly inviting. So <laughs> we're not going for it. Not... Like, would you like to post your content here for no money? Is that what the invitation is? 
or, you know, we'll pay you in this way. That seems ridiculous to me. Got it. <laughs> you don't want to say more specifically? No, no. Got it. It was not a very inviting invitation. No, no. And I'm just like, why would I want to help in my own demise? Thank you very much. Bye. But surely you must, like most artists, crave an ever-widening audience, right? You must think about how how to reach new audiences. Yeah, but there's also something for being a mid-sized company. There's also something to be said for being like a very lean and agile company. I just feel like, you know, the bigger you get, the bigger you get. (laughs) Yeah. I'm all for success and all that kind of stuff, but I don't need to be kink.com. I don't need to be AABN. I'd rather focus on what's important to me, which is my work and the quality of other people's work and helping new artists kind of redefine the genre. That's kind of my goal. And it's not that it's secondary making money, but I think when I stay on that path, the money follows. Can you give us maybe to wrap up like a little glimpse of what kind of boundaries are going to get pushed next? What's coming up in terms of the (laughs) the artists that you work with and what you're working with? Like, what do you think the, Uh, the new frontiers are that you're interested in? The new frontier that I'm interested in is like the coming out story of a heterosexual. Oh, is there any porn yeah. like that? I don't know. I'm not too sure. Yeah, I love that idea. Is that what we should expect to see next from you? Um, that's hopefully something that, I, that I'll get to shoot next year. Excellent. So when does Snapshot come out in a way that, you know, folks who aren't at a film festival can see it? Well, it's going to be on Pink Label pretty soon after our screening at Frameline. And that should be out after June 23rd. And June 23rd is when it's air, it's screening in Seattle, is that right? No, San Francisco at San Frameline. Fran- S- San Francisco yeah. at, at Frameline is a film festival? Yes. So if you're in the Bay Area, you can definitely check that out on June 23rd. And the rest of us can check pinklabel.tv shortly thereafter, is that right? Yep, yep, yep. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah, no problem. It was awesome. How can people follow you and your work in general? Like, are you on social media or where's the best place to keep in touch? You can follow Crash Pad Series at Twitter, at Crash Pad Series. There's uh, at Pink Label TV on Twitter. You can follow me, Shine Louise Houston. You can also just go to our websites, CrashPadSeries.com, PinkLabel.tv, and check out our stuff. Excellent. And you all should definitely do that. And you can find me on Twitter at Jacqueline F. Um, also at Jacqueline F on Facebook. And I'm Jacqueline Effable on Instagram because. And tell me what you thought of the show. Tell me. I would love to have a conversation. Just use the, the unscrewed hashtag. What porn do you like? Like, let's make recommendations to each other and start treating porn like, you know, the art slash media that it is. Let's let's talk about it. You can find this podcast wherever fine podcasts are available in Apple Podcasts and on Stitcher and Acast. While you're in there, make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss a show. And also, you know, give us five stars. Give us a little review. Helps other people find the show. Unscrewed is produced and edited by yours truly, Jacqueline Friedman. Our In-N-Out music is by The Pink Tiles, and our cover art is by Nicole Dodonna and was developed in collaboration with the establishment, who also developed the sound cue. Until next week, I'm wishing you safe and happy sex lives. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. 
Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great, too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com.